Such a drastic change came to that city that they said, you're messing up our world. We liked it just the way it was. And what they didn't realize is that by the teaching of the gospel, their world was actually being changed right side up again. See, we live in an upside down world. Ever since the fall, sin has come into this world, but also it turned this world upside down. But God, desiring to have fellowship with his creation, sent his only begotten son to bring us back into relationship with the Father. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Turn to your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to do something today that I have not done before in finishing a book is to do a review at the end of the book. Just share with you a little bit of the thought process that takes place in, at the beginning of the week to the week before, thinking about this coming message and really dealing, wanting to deal with some of the perhaps prophetic issues that's taken place where we're at prophetically in the Word of God. During this week, I've had this thought and something that we had realized and it initially began to look at, well, let's just review First Thessalonians and see what Paul was talking about, the Lord's coming, and just remind ourselves all that Paul taught the church in Thessalonica about the Lord's soon return. And then as I laid out all those scriptures on a piece of paper, much like this, in my computer, I thought, well, let's take it a little further. And in each chapter, let's see where Paul looked at what the church was doing well, or perhaps what he wanted them to do as they lived in this earth, but then looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. And so what ended up developing was a look at 1 Thessalonians. And what I view is Paul had one eye fixed on the current circumstances that he and the church of Thessalonica currently were going through. But also he got them to focus their attention toward the coming of Jesus Christ. I believe this is a great way in which we should live because we have to deal with the current circumstances we're in each and every day. But then we have that hope and the future hope of Jesus is coming that is in our lives also. And so we're living for the future, looking toward the future coming of Jesus, but also living in the current circumstances and situations that we are each in each day of our lives. I believe a good example of this may be found in a parable that the Lord gave to his disciples and through the writing of Scripture gave to us about a nobleman, a a master of his house, who went away to a far country. Before his departure, he took ten of his servants and he gave them each a minus each. He gave them some money. 
gave him all the same amount, and he simply said, do business until I come. Upon the master's return, he demanded an account of the business that they had done. Now, there was 10 servants in this parable, and Jesus only told us about three. One had taken the one minus that he had received and turned it into 10 and returned it back to his Lord. And the Lord said to him, well done. He didn't say good and faithful servant in this one, but he said, you have been a faithful servant, a good servant, he had called him. And he gave him 10 cities to rule and reign over. Another that he talked about was one who presented five minus to him, or five returned fivefold back to his Lord. And to him, again, he had the compliments of his Lord and five cities given to him. Another servant, and the last one that Jesus mentioned, returned what the Lord had given to him. If it's a minus, if it's a talent, I believe that the Lord gives us all a gift. He gives us an opportunity in this life to live for him and to take that gift and to multiply it. And sometimes there are those of us who take the gift and we just simply hide it. We hide it away for safekeeping and we'll give it back to the Lord on the day of his return. But what we'll discover is that the Lord doesn't want the gift that he gave you back in the same shape and form that it was given to you. He wants you to take it and use it and increase it in wealth. And the wealth that is not financial wealth as in this parable, but it's the wealth of ministry that is afforded to us. And it's how we use the talents he gives us to minister to others. That could be as simple as cleaning a church. I was thinking about this in my own life. That's probably how I started in ministry because mom and dad drug me to the church when I was 12 and 13 years old and said, you're helping us clean. Now, it may not have been a volunteer basis at that time, but When I was in my early 20s and had a new family and Lily and I weren't making a lot of money and actually at the time I was uh, solely supporting our family, it it led to an opportunity to now in the larger church that my dad had built, they allowed me to be the janitor, the custodian of the church and I earned very little amount. I don't even remember what it was, but then it became my job. And so it began as a service and it became my job. I began teaching at as young as probably 18 years old. If you're a believer in 18 in some churches, you're good enough to teach the youth group, you know. And I was a youth. I was a teenager also and began teaching in Sunday school. Never really taught the smaller kids, but from youth on up. And even in my dad's church, I did everything from teaching youth to young adults to adults to um, filling in in the pulpit for them before I was even surrendered to the call of ministry, but I began teaching. It was a Sunday school class. It was a a training union in the church we were at. It was in a Sunday evening. And now what I get paid for teaching. That's my job. We see that we develop the works, the talents that he gives us. And they can start off so simply. Perhaps that ministry gift will always be that of cleaning a fellowship or a church, but I can guarantee you that when your pastor walks in and sees everything nice and clean and swept and vacuumed and mopped and the trash emptied, it blesses his heart. When he walks into the church and sees stuff on the floor and marks on the floor and the trash wasn't emptied or the toilets weren't cleaned, there are times I run down at that moment and grab the toilet brush or the broom and just finish it up prior to other people getting here because I want our fellowship to look so presented. And small ministry eases the ministry of others. And so to take the talent, to do business until I come, I believe this is what Paul was 
really focusing in on with them. One of the things, there's so many things. When I went through this epistle with you guys, the prayer life of Paul really jumped out on me. And I'm really not mentioning any of that in the teaching today. But I realized he was a great man of prayer and he had the concern and heart of the church in Thessalonica on his heart daily as he brought it up before the Lord, brought them up before the Lord, desiring to see them, praying for them. And so there's many things that we have learned, but there's just a few things that I'd like to draw up for us today. And and that makes it difficult. It means I'm going to pick just a few verses out of each chapter that we can get through this in a short period of time. And so let's begin in chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 3, where Paul tells them, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. He was in prayer. He was sharing with them his daily prayers that he made mention of them daily in his prayers. And in the making mention of them in their prayers, when he thought about the young church at Thessalonica, he thought about three things, their work of faith, their labor of love, and their hope and patience of hope in the Lord's coming. There's three things that he thought about. The work of faith. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 11, it tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. In that chapter of Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews tells us about many of the Old Testament believers, and he shares with us the great faith that they had in the Lord and how the Lord worked abundantly in their lives because of their faith. But Paul calls it here a work of faith. And by calling it a work of faith, it reminds me of James 2.18, where James wrote to us and said, but someone will say, you have faith, I have works. And James said, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. See, the two go hand in hand together. Others were saying in James' day, and they'll say the same in our day, hey, I got faith in God. And I'll look at them and say, but where's your works? Show me your faith. Let me see it. And what is meant there that there is a living faith. And when there is a living faith, we'll see that living faith being worked out in our lives, in the things that we do for our Lord. It was a work of faith, but it was also a labor of love. Now, we had learned when we were in this study that this labor spoke about in the Greek meant labor with trouble or toil. There were things going on in their lives when they came to faith in Jesus Christ. I think about this church in Thessalonica and all the missionary churches that were formed through Paul and Silas. Realize, especially here in this region, remember that Paul went forth where no foundation was laid. They hadn't heard about Jesus. They hadn't heard that Christ even came and died on the cross. They hadn't heard anything about that. They were a pagan society, a people without faith in God. Their faith was in other gods, in other things. They worshiped many things, but they didn't know who Jesus was. But Paul came preaching Christ. And as the people believed, there was a huge change in their lives. But their faith came with trouble and with turmoil. As we know in Acts chapter 17, that there was a revolt that rose up within the town that they were actually searching out Paul and Silas and Timothy, and they wanted to bring them before the magistrates. They wanted them punished for the things that they were doing to their city. It's so interesting that in the day and age that we live in, there are those who would love to see the church punished once again for the things that we're doing for our country. 
punished by preaching the word of God and teaching the truths that are found in the word of God, punished for saying that Jesus is Lord. Oh, you can't say Jesus is Lord. How do you know that Jesus is is Lord? Other people have different lords that they worship, so you shouldn't say that. It came with turmoil, with trouble, so much so that there was an uproar in the city. And they declared that these were the men who have turned the world upside down. Such a drastic change came to that city that they said, you're messing up our world. We liked it just the way it was. And what they didn't realize is that by the teaching of the gospel, their world was actually being changed right side up again. See, we live in an upside down world. Ever since the fall in the book of Genesis, as told to us there in the Garden of Eden, ever since Adam and Eve took of that fruit and disobeyed the commandments of the Lord, Sin has come into this world, but also it turned this world upside down. Upside down in that the world and the people in the world cannot have fellowship with the Lord. But God, desiring to have fellowship with his creation, sent his only begotten son to bring us back into relationship with the Father. The church in Thessalonica, as they became believers and became a church, they believed this. There was evidence in their work of faith, in their labor of love, but also in the patience of hope in the Lord Jesus, in the sight of our God. In the sight of our God, we can take this in two ways, that God is watching, God sees. Everything we do is in the sight of our God. Whether we think no one else is watching or not, God sees. But also, I believe that patience of hope is looking forward to seeing God one day face to face. So as believers in trouble, in turmoil, they came to faith and there was an evidence of a work of their faith, a labor of love, and looking forward to the coming of Jesus. In verse 9 and 10 of this chapter, he says to us, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The circumstances of their salvation, they turned from idols to serve a living and true God. Now, I looked in a number of my commentaries and Bible dictionaries to try to find out more about the idols that were worshipped in Thessalonica. And to be honest with you, I couldn't find any that were mentioned. But what I did find is that Thessalonica, because of their loyalty to the Roman Empire, were rewarded the status of and privilege of being a free city in the Roman Empire. And the city became the most populous of Macedonia, the largest city within Macedonia. It was referred to by one of their own poets as the mother of all Macedonia. And with this mindset and knowing the Grecian and Roman Empire that ruled and reigned during that time, we can envision that perhaps every possible deity that could be worshipped was worshipped there. Maybe they didn't have one main god, but no doubt they had many gods that they worshipped. And with these many idols that were worshipped, they dramatically turned to the true and living God. And it was testimonies from others. They themselves declare to us, Paul says, how you turn from the idols to serve the living and true God, how they turn to God from serving idols. That's what salvation is. So dramatic, so incredible. Realizing what God can do in an individual's life, even though that individual perhaps has so messed up his or her life up to a certain point in time until they put their faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ says he will take out that old stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. He gives you a new heart. 
The word tells us that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And this was the church in Thessalonica. And I believe for many of us, it's us today. There was a point in time where you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you turned from whatever you were worshiping. Say, well, John, I wasn't worshiping anything. Oh, yeah, we have our things that we worship in this world. For some, it's at this time of year. Well, with no snow on the ground, it's not their outdoor activities and snowmobiles and stuff. But for some, that's what they live for. It's sports. It's activities that they live for. Others, and many of us will be worshiping that tonight, it might be sports, a football game that's going on, wondering how our team's doing. But some people can become so obsessed with it that it's all about the team. Now, I'll watch and I'll wonder how they do, but I won't give too much more attention afterwards throughout the rest of the week until the next game comes on. It doesn't consume or control my life. And it's whatever consumes and controls your life, that's the God that you worship. For many of us, both what seemingly could be good things or bad things have controlled our lives. And through Jesus Christ, there can be that dramatic change that we turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And then in verse 10, he says to wait for his son from heaven, who has risen from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So he's looking forward. He's looking at their current circumstances. He sees a work of faith. He sees a labor of love. He sees patience of hope. But he also is looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to save us from the wrath to come. God's judgment is going to come upon this earth. Now, God has judged this earth in many ways and shapes and forms. He uses wars at times to bring judgment. But the wrath to come is speaking about a time where God will work in this earth unlike any other time since it's been created, where he deals with and brings judgment upon those who do not believe, but also sets up his son to rule and reign upon this earth. And this is the eye that Paul has fixed always upon the coming of Jesus. Jesus is coming to rule and reign. In the world, we've seen economic change, and we're watching things like gas prices go up, and we saw the war with Hezbollah and the war that continues on with Hamas there in Israel. And the focus of the attention of the world upon Israel, it has become a very frightening place to live in at times. We think about all that's going on and the possibilities of disaster but also some good things have taken place. We've met new people in this church family. There's been births. There's been some, sadly, some deaths that have taken place. There's been changes in jobs, and God has provided in these things, both good and bad. This is the life that we live in. And as we live this life, I believe Paul wants us to have our our minds fixed upon the things that we're doing while we're living. For him, that work of faith, that labor of love, that hope in Jesus, but also looking forward to the Lord's coming. In chapter 2, I zeroed in on beginning in verse 13. Remember, I'm just picking a little bit out of each chapter. And there in verse 13, he said, For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you have heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. When they heard the word of God, they received it as it is in truth. There are many people who mock the word of God today. They believe that it's a compilation of religious beliefs, focusing in on the God of Israel and the Lord Jesus Christ, but still a compilation. 
of many people who have written down, and it's just a compiled book, but not the very Word of God. I've shared with you a few weeks ago how when our astronauts circled the moon for the very first time and they read from Genesis 1-1, now that book that they read from when it's being documented, they're at the Smithsonian. It's called an ancient religious text that he read from. No longer the Bible, ancient religious text. But here we see that the church in Thessalonica received the word of God as it is, as it is in truth, the word of God. Sadly, in many of our churches today, the word is being doubted. Is everything in there actually from the Lord? And there are those who have set out to prove that which is from the Lord and that which is not, causing us to have doubt in the word of God. But we see here that Paul was so certain of the truth of the gospel that the effect that it has is that the belief in the word of God, it works effectively then in us. If you take the Word of God as it is in truth, just as Scripture says, and if you use the Word of God in your lives, I believe a great way to begin that is is to have a, a time of daily devotion. At the beginning of this year, it's a good thing to commit to, to try to do. It has been through the beginning of New Year's that I have developed the habit of reading God's Word daily. Say, well, you're the pastor of the church, John. It's your job. You should be reading God's Word daily. Yeah, I should. But there's two different kinds of reading for a pastor. One is devotional for himself. The other is instructional for learning and teaching of others. And so I can take this book as a textbook and in my nine to five office hours come in and say, okay, I got to prepare a lesson for my class this coming Wednesday and Saturday. And I can look at it as more of an intellectual work, but I don't look at it that way. I look at it as it is in truth, the very word of God. And as we look at it in that way and realizing that as I'm working through it and as you're working through it, that it can have its effectual work in our lives, work the change that God desires in our life. The psalmist in Psalm 138, verse 2, said, I will worship toward your holy temple. I will praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word above your name. The mindset of God toward his word. You have magnified your word above your name. Now, it's not that we are to worship the word of God, but to realize that it is the word of God and it's to be held in honor as the word. As we hold it in such honor, such respect, such usefulness in our daily lives, we'll find that it will have its effectual work in our lives. I can tell you this, that the changes that have taken place in my life is one, because of my faith in Jesus Christ, but also because of my continual devotion to the study of his word. And it's through the study of his word that my mind is being changed and renewed and that I become more like him. The Lord said to Isaiah in Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return void to me, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper for the thing for which I sent it. So God's word, he has a purpose for it and a purpose for it in each of our lives. And here He's reminding the church, reminding us that as we receive the word of God, as it is in truth, it will have its effectual work in our lives. That's a good thing to remember that the Lord wants to have an effectual work in your life. And that effectual work can take place by the study of his word. So often those who don't have that imminent hope of Jesus' coming, they don't concern themselves too much with the things of the Lord. It's more so about what satisfies their flesh and their heart, their desires. 
And the things of Lord can be as limited as going to church to pay my religious duties, respects, as small as Christmas and Easter for some, and they'll still claim to have faith. That's not a living faith. That's not a faith that's being worked out. That's not a a labor of love type faith that the Lord would have for us. What he desires for us is that we would have a living, working faith with an eye fixed upon the Lord's coming, realizing that he could come at any time. Father, I pray that you would be with us. As we look inward at our own lives, we just simply ask you, Lord, how am I doing, Lord? Is there some change you'd like to work in my life? We know, Lord, if we honestly ask that question, you'll say to each one of us, oh yeah, there's some change I'd like to work out. Lord, may we be a people who would allow you to work your change in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for the work that we've seen you do. And many of those who have just this year been growing in faith, perhaps this year just came to faith, and we've watched you work effectively in their lives. We thank you, Lord, for those of us who have been believers for many years, and we can testify, Lord, you're still working effectively. You're still doing a work in our life, and it's wonderful and glorious. We are your servants. Desire, Lord, that you would continue to do a work in our lives, realizing, Lord, that you are our great hope, and in you we put our trust. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.